Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richard Weaver. This is episode 149. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Reaching any type of level of success in life can be attributed to many factors, but there's no question that one of the foundational principles is discipline. And Brian Kite fully understands the power of systems to help create that discipline and the power of simplicity for those systems. From executive coaching to leadership development, Brian has spent almost 20 years examining the power of discipline from his days as a college football player to CEO of Focus 3 before embracing the passion and challenges as an entrepreneur and now as the founder and author of DailyDiscipline.com, helping people all over the world focus on the key elements of discipline in all aspects of life. Our conversation with Brian Kite. Thank you, sir. Yeah. I'm hoping it's okay that I do call you BK. That's it. That's right? what my friends call me. So yes. Well, it. now that you're on the podcast, I'm hoping at least I've earned the opportunity to call you BK. Now, I know I've got a way to earn your trust. Look, but... we, we, we already came in with matching shirts tonight, <laughs> exactly. and so at least in color. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, 90% of the work is done. Our brainwaves are already working right. together, right? right? So we're already connected from that standpoint. So I do have to ask you, though, first and foremost, yeah. the beard. Yeah. Because I'm so jealous. Because mm-hmm. I cannot grow a beard like that. Are you one of those guys that takes two days and you have a beard? You know, I found out, uh, I found out eight or so years ago that I could actually grow this. I, I think one of those No Shave November yes. things popped up. And I've I, done I that. Like, oh, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And by the time I got done with it, I, I, like, you know, I think I like, half expected to be like a, a special ops guy in Afghanistan. I'm like, <laughs> I look like I could be one of those. I'm not, but I look... <laughs> You know, at least in the face. And so then I'm like, it, but, but like everybody, I kind of got the, uh, it gets kind of, you know, itchy and caring for it or whatever. And so I just never. And then when the, when the, when the pandemic hit, when, when we went in COVID, I, um, I got my first haircut, I think maybe in May or something, you know, because all, you know, all the hair places shut down. You know, yes. You know, all these people, what do I do with my hair? And I laughed at the time. And so I, I got like one haircut from somebody who came and did it. And it was so terrible. I just decided, no, I'm not cutting my hair anymore. And I think I had a glass of bourbon or two, and I walked through my kitchen, and I told my wife, and I said, come in the bathroom, and, and when I yell your name in five minutes, come in the bathroom. And I grabbed a pair of clippers, and I just literally just shaved the sides of my head, and I left the top. I just went straight line, right? Like, like right out of Peaky Blinders. And right about that same time, I said, I'm just going to, 
I'm actually going to cut all of this off on the side, and I'm going to grow this out. And I've done that since. And so, but, but then I realized it actually got so long. It was like getting like Santa Claus level. And so I'm like, okay, i got to trim that. So I haven't cut the hair since, I think, April or May, uh, just the sides. And then I trim the beard up every now and then, and it's just what I got now. Yeah, but your style is rocking. It's, I you mean, know it fits it's, you. I have to tell my team, I, I'm like, I, I, you can't use old pictures of me because it looks like they were from 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Because it just, you know, the beard does the aging thing, I guess. I don't know. So now I got the gray all coming in. I told my wife I got the, I got oh, the, just I got the gray white strip. I got buddies who say, you know, people would pay for this kind of coloring. I don't know. I'm like, I'll never color it. It's gray. It's gray. It no. is what it is. That's, you're just rocking with I am that, who right? I am. Yeah. yeah. Uh, agreed 100%. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting the gray everywhere as well, but... I just can't grow the beard. You know, some people struggle and it to drives connect me right crazy. Here, right here, like this is the spot. Like, where's the little connection point? And I had a, I had a buddy there the other day, two of my best friends. That they said uh, they were just, well, they were giving each other grief about different things, and it's like you know you can't grow a beard; it's all too patchy. And he's like six three, and he goes, "Listen, you're five nine, I'm six three. <laughs> I'm not going to complain about the fact that I don't have a beard because I just look at you, and you're five nine. I I'll feel that traded, and I'm like. Yes. Touche. Exactly. That's right. We all have our thing. We all have ours. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, your social media distancing cleanse Uh, that you did. Yeah. I want to hear about that experience because it's very intriguing just from perspective of doing that uh, because I know that I waste a lot of time on social media. And I know millions upon millions of other people do the same thing, even much more than I do. Mm-hmm. What was your experience? Well, you know, I, I think the first thing before I talk about my experience is, you know, my perspective. Because you say social media to anybody and just immediately there's just baggage yes. that people have, right? It's like there's few things that are lightning rods like the phrase social media. It's like saying politics, right, or religion at this point. So the first thing for me... I have, there is, social media is not good or bad. I mean, it's like, it's like calling a TV good or bad. It's just like, like money. That's not it, good or it's bad. It's not good or bad. It's, it's like alcohol, good or bad, or anything. Like, my belief about things are things aren't good or bad. Mm-hmm. Our relationships with them are. Exactly. Right? So, yes. so that's always it. So, so, by the way, in 2019, I, uh, on a whim, told my wife, I said, um, and maybe it was 2018, whatever it was, I told my wife, I said, hey, I go, if we have another kid, I'm not going to drink at all while you're pregnant. And literally two weeks later, she says, hey, we're having a kid. <laughs> and it was Super Bowl Sunday uh, was when she told me. And, you know, I think we had like a glass of champagne celebrated. And then I didn't have a drink for nine months. Immediately. Um, not because I had a bad relationship with it, but I've never gone nine months without having you know, a glass of wine or a bourbon or a beer, whatever it was, right? I'd just never done it before. And I fly on airplanes all over the world. And, you know, at this point, you know, I get, I get the upgrades to first class and they're, you know, up there and they're asking and, you know, client dinners, all the things that we've done, right? And so I just did it, just on a whim. And it was, it was great because I just, I looked at my relationship different. I just changed. It's like, okay, like, let's look at the relationship differently. And I didn't have a problem with it. And I didn't have a problem with social media, but I wanted to, look at my relationship. I wanted to look at how I viewed it and what it did with me, what I did with it. All of that said, right, so I don't want, you know, the people who want to demonize social media, if you want to do that, you need to, okay, great. But it's literally a physical or platform tool like anything else. It is what we put into it, and it is what we draw out of it. That's number one. 
So for me, I only put good things into it. Like I only put, I, I use it for business. I don't use it for personal at all. So I've always told everybody if it wasn't for business, I wouldn't be on it. So it was a risk from, to the business getting off. It wasn't a risk for me. And it was wonderful. It was great being off. Uh, it wasn't great for the business, but it was great for me personally because it was, it was a way to put a filter into my life that, and I, and I wrote about this, and it's interesting. Social media has this way of putting things in front of us that we otherwise never would have asked to see otherwise. And there's a lot of other stuff that it does show to us that we do ask to see because it is good at tracking what we do and where we go. Yes. And it says, hey, you're likely to like this. Check it out. And then you click it. And then you get mad that you clicked it when it's like, no, don't click it. Well, the headline was tempting. Yeah, because you wanted it, and that's why it's there. So don't blame the, don't blame the platform. But for me, it was, it was uh, I would get on to do something, say, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And then we've all had this, right? You ever opened up Instagram with the intent or Twitter with the intent of, oh, I want to look, I need to go look at what this guy said. Or what, yes. All of a and then as you opened it, there was two or three things that were on there, and you clicked that one. And then you looked at it, and next thing you know, it's like eight or nine minutes later, and you're like, okay, and you close the app, and then you're like, wait, what? I opened it to do something. What was I going to do? What was I? And then you totally forgot. So I I told my brother about that, and he's like, that happens to me like three or four times a day. And I noticed something like, sometimes like that, the same thing might happen to me, right? And I'm Mr. Discipline, right? Teaching discipline or whatever. (laughs) But nonetheless, right, it would happen. I'm like, okay, like, I want to look at that, right? I, I don't have a problem, but... What if that never happened? Does that ever happen not on social media to me? No, it doesn't happen. Right? Like, and if it does, it, it's in a book, and it's diving deep into a topic of interest. And I'm, So for me, it was, it was necessary. It was refreshing. I also did it on purpose during political season. And, and another thing for me that I, I really wanted to sort of take my – my uh, relationship and evaluate it. And, and this was probably the biggest lesson for me personally was we were, I don't believe that we were built to know as many thoughts from as many people, especially the people close to us as get presented to us through social media. I don't think we're wired to handle that emotionally. In fact, I know we're not. And we're definitely not wired to hear it from strangers and so, you know, let's take you and I, like, say, say we had a 10-year relationship before today. You and I might know each other for 10 years, and our families be close, and our kids be close, and do all kinds of different stuff. And I never hear, you know, your deep thoughts on politics and certain parts of religion and, you know, certain things. Like, I might never hear certain depths of those things. I might hear sort of the general pieces of it and maybe some meaningful stuff, but, like, your deep thoughts on all of these different things, we might not, you know, that's just not, we don't go there, right? But now I follow you on Twitter, I follow you on Facebook, I follow you on whatever, and I literally hear like the rumblings of your soul about that stuff. Now all of a sudden, if you and I disagree, and I see you doing this day after day after day after day, I have to process that. And without social media, where you're putting that in and I'm seeing that, I might not otherwise ever have to process it. And we have a phenomenal friendship. Because we let sleeping dogs lie, and we, you and I would embrace. Without social media, we would embrace. I'm going to guess we don't have all the same political views. I'm going to guess we don't have all the same religious views. And the ones that we do, we, we approach them differently. And we don't use the same language or parent our kids the same way. But we put it on social media, and I like, see you. I don't, you wouldn't do this, right? But I see you like, judging somebody. 
and all of a sudden that thing you're judging somebody on social media, I do sometimes, and all of a sudden... Now you're feeling judged. Now it's a little awkward next yes. time we go to the beach. So, you know, we're not wired for that with hardly anybody, let alone with hundreds, thousands of strangers. So for me, it was one of those steps back, you know, it was just, it was just a reinforcement, right, that if I'm not using it with purpose, if I'm not putting things purposefully into it, if I'm not doing things that are to the benefit of society, treating people well, uplifting, helping, challenging when necessary, but through love, right? Like, like challenging with love, like I would with you, right? If I'm, if I'm here with you and I need to challenge you, I, I have to do that with love. Otherwise, it, it breaks our trust, our confidence, our relationship, our bond. And so the same thing with, with social. If I'm not doing that, then don't do it. Like, don't, don't engage. Don't, don't be on there. And also, if I'm not pulling things that I want out, and if it's not helping me, don't consume anymore. Exactly. I, I, I asked a question on, so, uh, uh, on Instagram or something like that the other day. I said, in any other environment, do you willfully pick up a book that just pisses you off on every page and just angers you to the point of you've got to go out and express it and I then come back and pick post. it up again? And like everybody's like, no, I don't ever do that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but you do it with social I know media. That, right? Like, do you go to dinner with people who do that to you and like, you know, who aren't your, you know, mother-in-law or something like that, right? Like, you know, whatever the jokes would be, right? My mother-in-law's phenomenal, right? You know, but, but no, we don't do that. But people do it on social all the time. Yes. And so social media isn't broken, but people's relationship with it is. And so that, for me, that was, that was what the relationship I wanted to explore. That was my lesson. And you know, I don't want people to do anything with that. Like, my team asked me, hey, do a big write-up on that. Mike, I don't want to. It, it wasn't for everybody else. I, I didn't come with it with lessons to teach people, right? And, and, and so, uh, but, the, but that was what I got, right? And I got that, you know, deep breath of fresh air. And then I got back on social media, and six days later, you know, people stormed the Capitol, and, you know, I'm right back in it. <laughs> you, you know, go. and it's like, you know, so it just, it is, you know. <laughs> that cycle. The things now, are going to get put in. You had mentioned, though, that the business didn't help the business being gone for three months or whatever. Yeah. But is there an aspect, though, that maybe inherently it did help the business? Because for you, it got you in a better spot. So now you're more dialed in, you're more focused with the business We aspect. did. We, we talked about that as a team, right? So we, we discussed as a team the, the benefit of, uh, of stepping out of that arena, stepping out of that game, and, and does that take a lot of stuff off our plate? And it does, and it did. Um, and so, yeah, there, there was definitely net good impact of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if I look back from a business perspective, you know, I think the end calculation is, <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, to, to, to steal Gary Vee's line, social media real estate is just so cheap. It's the best deal in business. I mean, the, the value of, of Twitter, the value of podcasting, you know, to, to, to our business has been phenomenal. It's been unbelievable. It's been exponential. It's been the best investment of zero dollars we've ever spent. So that's what I come back to, to say net-net, you know, from a business perspective, there is no reason to not be on it. Now, the personal might trump the business, and that's a calculation we all have to do, right? Just like, am I going to travel for sales? Well, if you got... A newborn? No, you're not. Right? You're going to stay home, and you're going to you're going to uh, you know, help your wife or you know whatever you're, whoever you're with, and and you know you're going to stay home. And you're going to do it over Zoom, right? So it's like everybody, they do the calculations. But yeah, so for us, it, you know, it, it's social is just a great place for us to engage with an audience who is hungry, thirsty, starving for you know good quality content that has 
truth, accuracy, and, and love in it. Yeah, well, I, I do love that aspect, uh, and I utilize social media as best I can for those type of situations, those type of attributes, because I'm big, like on Twitter, like I, I don't... I don't do a whole lot of my own personal opinions or anything of that nature, but I will retweet and quote a tweet sure. per se, but just with flood the timelines with positivity. Sure. So I see something good, just pushing that back out rather than looking at the potential negative side of things. So, anything to get more of that in the feed? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, think, I think people are, they want to consume that rather than the other side. It's just that you can go down those rabbit holes that you talk about eight or nine minutes. Next thing you know, you're, you're in somebody's feed and looking at different comments and you're getting angry just probably based on what people are saying. They, again, yeah. you have no idea who they are. And they don't. I mean, I mean look, I mean, emotions are, are both contagious and addictive at the same time, right? And so... If you ask me, would a show like Real Housewives of Orange County, like, would that be a program that would explode and blow up? Or does it make rational sense why people watch that? It doesn't at all. It doesn't make rational sense. It's a concocted show. It's engineered. It tries to look like it's real. And it's about people with, you know, dysfunction who, if you ask anybody who watches it, not anybody, but most of the people who watch it, uh, you know, do you want to be like that? They'd all go, no way. Hell no, I don't want to be like exactly. that, right? But do you want to watch it? Yeah, why? Because I love a train wreck. I know. It's I crazy. Go, okay, cool. Like, and so, like, you know, there's a, there's a certain contagious that, but it doesn't come without consequences is, is the point. Now, what those consequences are and whether they matter and how much, but everybody thinks, oh, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't touch me. And, like, you know, and then somebody will act one way on Twitter and make, oh, it doesn't affect my life. Okay. In, in, in my observation of reality, you put that in because that's what's in your heart. You know, like, if that's what's in there. You know, I like... I like watching, you know, Dumb and Dumber and Step Brothers and goofy <laughs> stuff. And yeah, like, yeah, because, you know, there's, there's humor and all that. Of course, you know, that's a huge part of me. But, if it, you know, we all decide where to draw our lines, right? We all decide where our pieces are. And I don't know that there's right and wrong. There's just the standards everybody wants to set for themselves. All right, so let's, let's roll all the way back before social media. Yeah. And kind of talking about the arena and getting into the sports arena, so to speak, and mm. Your love of sports, and I know football was the, the sport that really grabbed a hold of you at an early age. Why was that? What's, what's yeah. the emotions that you remember about how football grabbed you? Yeah, I mean, I mean it still is. I mean, it, it, I, I, think it's the, I think it's the greatest sport in the world for a ton of reasons. Um, and what are those reasons? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is the, is the quote that my coach always said. It's not why I think it's the greatest sport, but it's the, my college coach always said it's the, it's the greatest sport in the world because uh, it's the only sport where people who never touch the ball directly affect the game. <laughs> okay, yes. Which is true. Right? It is true. Um, and that's offensive and defensive line for people who don't, you know. <laughs> for, <laughs> who look, you know. That's why you see it, oh, you know. Oh, linemen are the best when they get to touch hey. the ball because they never get to do it, and it's so awesome. Exactly. Hey, a lot of games are won and lost in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but for me, there, there's there's a few reasons why I think football is is uh, is the best sport in the world. You know, number one, I, I can remember being eight years old and putting my helmet on for the first time, and everybody looks so cool with their helmet on on TV. And the first time you put a helmet on, and you're lying if you didn't say this, it's not supposed to feel like this. <laughs> like, exactly. Everybody looks cool. Yeah. 
and this hurts. Exactly. And I don't look and, cool with this thing on. I don't feel like I look cool. <laughs> and I put it on and off, and the bottoms of my ears are starting to, like, tear, you know. And I've had it on for seven minutes, and my head hurts, you know. And now I'm not, and then the shoulder pads are awkward. So you're, you're, you're putting all this stuff on, and you're, you're doing all this different stuff. And, and I, I, I think the mental challenge of football at the speed at, that you have to play it, the abandon you have to play the game with, and the mental and emotional capacity that it requires. I mean, look, could I make the case that football is like hockey, but you got to do it on a, a skates? Yeah, I can make that case, right? Yeah. Uh, and maybe if I played hockey myself, I'd be arguing the opposite. You know, I have two brothers who played hockey in college and one in pro. And yeah, I can make the case that. But, but you know, at, at the end of it, I, I think the, between the, the strategy, the prep, the complexity, the speed, the emotional... Uh, need to you know what it requires emotionally, um, and that it's this like burst of a sport, right? Where soccer, it's you know it's a constant. Baseball, it's you know long stretches of slow. Basketball, it's this you know constant. It's a very fluid game. You know, hockey, very fluid, but you know somewhere between basketball and soccer, right? Football is this. It's burst. It's this intensity matched with the chess. And for me, there was just nothing like it because. For me, where I fell in love was at eight. My dad never let me play. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm five nine, right? <laughs> you can imagine what I was, what my size when I was eight. It, it wasn't pretty, right? I think I played high school ball my freshman year at like 110 pounds or something like that. But you know, my, so my dad wouldn't let me play because I was too small. And then lo and behold, all the way leading up before I got to high school, for the five years I played, I played five years of tackle football in California, Pop Warner. I played nose guard. Uh, I was the smallest person on the field every time. I mean, I had to like qualify weight within a pound or two to make the game. And that, yeah, that just to be able to play. Pop Warner, you get the weight before every game because yeah. it's age and weight combo. So I had to qualify to play every game. And sometimes I'd have to like pound water to make the weight. You know? <laughs> they're like, 65, you made it, you know. Um, and I played nose guard. And, and, you know, and I was quick and I was tough. And, 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 we had a, and we had a ton of fun. But for me, what it came down to was it was where – once, the, once I got the, the, the helmet on, and all of sports were this, football was just the thing that like, touched my heart, was like I was in control. Right? Like, like I crossed that line, now I could be whoever I wanted. Right? And I wasn't like running from things. Yeah, but I, yeah, I came from a divorced family. My parents divorced when I was a year old. And, I, you know, and I'm not self-aware or conscious of that. But if I look back at eight-year-old me and I see like eight- or nine-year-old me and I can like access emotionally, like, yeah, like no, eight or, eight or nine, ten-year-old me felt freedom on a football field where I could just go out and, like, let it go, you know? I, you know, and, and so I identify, right? You know, the, the, the inner city kid or the poor kid who's like, hey, this is my ticket. This is, like, how I get to, you know, get away from my life. And I, I get that. I wasn't that kid. But I had, like, whatever my version of that was. When I look back, I can feel that. So for me, that's what it was. And, and it was a way for me to compete, express intensity, be a teammate, you know. Like, you know, I was, I've never lost the energy. I've always had it. And so for me, it was just a way to get that, going and, I, and now I don't you know I don't have that now right like that, that doesn't exist for me like there is no outlet I like to compete and business is fun and this is cool and all that and I, this is certainly part of it but it's not the same right it's not lifting weights it's not golf it's not so what know, do you try to do then I try to steer it in as many different directions as I possibly can right that that are productive um golf has been fun to pick up and and you know Andy and I are, are working on project scratch so I'm chasing you know I'm, I'm taking that competitive energy and turning it into something different. And so God, learning how to compete differently because you can't compete in golf 
like I did in football. It won't work. I tried. <laughs> um, and so, oh, learning as a new competitor. Cool. Um, it, you know, but it, it's just pointing that into different places, right? And, you know, and I think the danger, right? You know, we talk about sports, right? What's the danger? There's a bunch of dads who are listening right now who are like, I get that, I get that. And what's the danger as a dad of feeling that? And then now you got a 12-year-old playing football. It's, you try to make your 12-year-old fulfill something for you. That's right. And we see, see it, it happen all the time. All of the time. All right? the time. And, you know, that's emotional. And, and so, you know, again, it's not, not that's just, that's what happens, right? So for me, uh, it's pointing that into things that I care about, right? Taking that energy and, and turning it into things. And then also, my, my football playing career is over. I mean, you know, I, I was reading Marcus Aurelius the other day, and, and he was talking about life, and I believe this about life, but it's the same reason I'm not afraid of death. At the end, he, the way he said it was, Marcus Aurelius said, your ship has sailed, it's crossed the sea, and it's pulled into, into port. He, he, he said, disembark. Okay. <laughs> yeah. right? Like in layman's terms, get off. Get off. Yeah. <laughs> get off the boat. It's over. You yeah. know, so for me, it's like football was over, right? I, I, I played five years of Pop Warner, four years of high school, four years of college, won a ton of games, broke a bunch of bones, got stitches, yeah. made the best friends of my life, won a conference championship in, in college, made it to the playoffs, had a blast, have memories and stories and experiences I'll never forget, and the journey ended. Like, disembark. Right? And so, like, what, so, so I don't have, like, regrets or, you know, live-out fantasies or yeah. Uncle Rico from, from you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's a poster child for this, right? You know, uh, well, what's that movie? Napoleon Dynamite, right? Exactly. You know, you know, that, it's like, you know, so, and it's, but it's the same thing for life. It's like, at some point, my life is going to be over. Like, at some point, that's going to be done. And so the journey is amazing and incredible and, and awesome, but it's going to be over, right? And I think, you know, and I think how we end journeys is just as important as how we live journeys. And, and for me, it's always ending with the same quality, integrity, character, resilience, whatever those qualities are, right? Like, end those things and, like, let them finish with the same commitment to standards that we live them with. Now I live knowing it's going to end, and I'm not taking anything for granted. And when it's over, I can say, look, this is, doesn't have to be a sad thing. Right? This was where it was always going to go. Was it worth it? Yeah, all of it was. Great. And then there's going to be something, whatever that is, like whatever's next. Like, so the same thing would be in the business. Like if the business ended, like we, had, we did awesome. We did over. great, cool yeah. things. Like Move on. let's roll over and let's go to the next thing or a relationship or something like that. And like, it doesn't mean it failed. It just means that that was the arc, right? So that's how I look at it. How early on or do you remember having that type of mindset? Or has that evolved over the years, just obviously through your experiences and you know, obviously what you've been able to do, working with your dad, Focus 3, and then yeah. now with the daily discipline, you know, all of that. But was there a point that even earlier in your life, your childhood, you, you had that type of mindset? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean as, far back, as far back as I can remember, I've had it, right? So, and then it's evolved and grown and, and, you know, different stages and phases, right? But probably part nature, part nurture, part wiring, part experience, you know, my, my, and I've talked a lot about this a ton, written about it, you know, my parents getting divorced when I was one was obviously an undeniable shaper, right? And so I got reps at things that, you know, most, we, we don't want our kids to get reps at at that age, but I got them, right? That's like just what it is. And I spent a lot of time alone 
because of that, because I would fly between my parents. And so I had all this time as a young kid alone, like just on a plane, right? And, then like, and looking back, you know, like, look, man, that's so important. And for a social guy, that was so important. Like, I learned how to be with myself. And then I learned, I learned, you know, and it was sometimes it'd be silent, sometimes I'd play music, whatever, but like, okay. And then maybe, you know, if I changed my life, I rode the subway or whatever it was. Mine was just flying on planes or driving in cars between my parents. So I learned how to be by myself. But also I learned, like, the value of thinking and just processing myself. And so I just, again, part wiring, part kind of that experience in reps, I got that. And then as I started studying and getting into it and, and started really falling in love with old books and, you know, reading stuff long ago and started seeing, oh, man, they, the stuff that I'm going through right now and the stuff I'm observing these people struggle with, they struggled with a thousand years ago and they wrote about how to do it well. Oh, okay, cool. And so I, I started making those connections. And that's when I started really, like, building it into my life, right? And that, that started around college. I was a terrible college student, uh, but that's when I started doing those things at a personal level. I started saying, oh, like, okay, this is fabric of me, right? I wasn't doing it for a grade, but it's like, oh, this is fabric of me. And so I started folding those in. And then after college, I became, a, you know, I became a hundred out of a hundred student. You know, I wish I would have done it in college, but I didn't. I yeah. did it after. Why didn't you? Right? I didn't care about <laughs> grades. I did. I mean, I, I just didn't. I mean, to this day, I don't. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like, oh, you work with college. It's like, look, everybody has to make their own. I'm just... It never mattered to me whether I got an A or a C because it didn't mean anything. Like a 4.0 didn't mean anything for me. If I had been, you know, if I had been... And yeah, I, was it, would that not have been a, a form of competition, though? No. A form of winning no. for you? I had zero com- com- competitive. Because here's why. People that were getting... For me, I watched people who were getting A's in classes who were some of the dumbest people I knew. They, they could follow an instruction, read a book. Yes. And not dumb as in like a character thing, just oh, like, no. like I, you know, take them out of the classroom and they, they, they couldn't survive in a social environment. Oh, there's you book know, smart to, and in common sense right. smart. And, and so it's hard to force somebody to be competitive in a place where they're not or in a way that they're not. It's hard. Now, you can learn it, but it's hard to make someone that. You know, I could learn how to be competitive in a certain place, but it'd be very hard for you to make me that. I would have to figure that out on my own. So... I, just, I wasn't competitive like that in a sports environment. And for me, sports and school were, once I got out of sports, though, and sports went away, now it was work. And I had to learn how to fall in love with the work as well. But once I found something that mattered, impacting people, winning clients, I found the competitive side of business. I fell in love with the competitive side of business. I found that I could make money doing it. I found that I could like, do fun and cool things through it. I found that like, there was people I wanted to be with and, and interact with. And it just turned on right it just turned on but i just for me now had i you know had i i was i always joke i was pre-med for a week until my my biochem teacher told me <laughs> I, I literally raised my hand in, on on in literally my freshman year monday class tuesday class go to wednesday class i raised my hand and i said when do we get to cut when do i get to cut somebody because i want to be a surgeon and they said, she goes, in, in like maybe 14 years, <laughs> if you do it quickly. And I literally go, I'm out. I never went to another biochem class, changed my major the next week. So, you know, had I been pursuing, you know, med, obviously the grades would have meant something. That's right. But I, did, I wasn't pursuing one of those. I wasn't pursuing a, a, a degree. Now, look, I'm not advocating that because when I got out of college, there were opportunities I wanted to go do and work avenues that were completely shut off because my grades weren't good enough. So I could make a case that, you know, maybe I could have paid better attention to them and should have. But also, you look at the path of so many entrepreneurs, it's like, it's like this. It's it just, this, the classroom didn't do that. It, 
It didn't. That wasn't for. I didn't. You. I didn't get that meaning. Yeah. But the second I got out of the classroom, and I was in the world, I mean, the meaning. It was like the dam was released for me, and that was that was just my experience. How do you think sports played a role in that aspect of when you're out in the real world and? you know, the light bulb starts going on, you know, what you want to do, your passion, Mm -hmm. and then how sports helped you through that process. I mean, how don't sports affect is probably the better way, right? I mean, anybody who's played a sport, you know, will go. And there's, you know, there's the usual suspects, right, about, you know, how to be a good teammate and, you know, how to do all this different stuff. You know, I I think, you know, I think we look at sports, I, I think we have to look at what we do in sports. Like what, 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 does, what does sport require you to do that you don't get if you're not in sports that are maybe not the usual suspects? I mean, people, people talk about teaming. Well, what's, what does teaming mean? Like, what, what are we talking about? So here's what sports do. What sports do is it requires you to understand yourself in relationship to the people around you. Right? That's what sports are. And so like, take the kid who plays football versus the kid who never plays football. Take the kid who, who uh, is on the basketball team in college who's not on the basketball team in college. The guy who goes to college at Clemson who's just going to school, he never has to look at himself in relationship to the people around him and the responsibilities he has to anybody but himself. Selfishness can breed, right? And, you know, hopefully he's got good parents and she, or she has good parents, you know, again, whoever it is. But it, it, like selfishness can breed, maybe a little clothes can breed, like you, you, you don't depend on other people. And yeah, they get in the classroom and do like labs or team exercises or whatever, but everybody knows that one person runs those team collaborative <laughs> efforts anyway, and everybody waits until that person that's does right. the deal. Like everybody knows that. And we kind of laugh about it, but that's how it works. And so when we look at people who play sports when we get into business, what do they understand? They understand themselves in relationship to other people. Yeah, and to the team. On the whole, yes. better than others. Right? And that's why people who don't stick out like a sore thumb on a team. In, in pro, they do. People who do not understand themselves in relationship to everybody else stick out like a sore thumb on a team. Not name names on you know, whoever, but everybody can see. And sometimes they're the best athletes in the world. And it's kiss of death. So that's one is, is how do you fit in like a puzzle piece and know yourself in relationship to everybody else and everybody else in relationship to you. Where I talk about that in business is I always look at it like this. Who do I rely on and who relies on me in business? Who am I dependent on to do my job well and who depends on me for their job to go okay? That interdependence. It's really cool, right? In a marriage, same thing. I depend on you. You depend on me for all of this to work well. If, If I don't do my job, you suffer. And if you don't do your job, right, I suffer. And it's like, and what happens in a marriage? In a marriage, it gets tense when what? People feel yeah, like that's weighted inappropriately, that's right. right? So, so sports shows us that. Not just shows us, it gives us the experience. Right? And people who can't get that in sports usually struggle, unless they're hyper, hyper talented, in which case they still struggle, but they think it's everybody else's fault. That, that's, that's one. I also think sports, it forces us to confront those moments of courage that are so important to our development, right? Fear, difficulty, learning mechanics, right? That are physical in nature. Yeah, my, my ears are older than mine, but mine, mine, are, mine are four and one. And I'm not going to be the, like, I think one of the, the, the crazy things I see going on is like, you know, 
kids need space to be kids and go get dirty and not be in structure and you know you can over sport right but i look at what, what what my kids need to do and i talk with my wife about this and she's on the same page like you, you have to be in a sport of some kind you can pick whatever you want but you have to be in a sport why well because you have to learn how to compete you have to learn how to do physical stuff you have to learn mechanics you have to get coached by somebody right you have to learn yourself in relationship to the people around you it's not an option for you to not be in a sport you can do whatever you want you have to play a musical instrument of some kind, right? You also have to learn the artistic side of life. There's the competition side, but you don't have to compete everywhere. You can learn the artist side. So you got to, and what, who, like, how do we round this out? Like, okay, well, can you compete intensely, but also can you learn, like, can you learn the beautiful part of life as well? Can you learn, why when we hear the right guitar riff or piano thing, why does it take us to another place? It does. Right? Why does know. that happen? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, but what? I want you to learn that. Right? Um, and you have to learn some kind of uh, uh, physical self-defense because, because, not because you have to you know, beat somebody up or protect yourself per se, although that's smart. It's you got to learn how to control your own body. Like you got to learn yourself in relationship to the world and that you know, we've lost touch as human beings with, you know, <laughs> somebody comes up and like something physical happens. There's a lot of people who, who think that's not supposed to happen in the world. And we're we're still just as primal back here as we've been exactly. ever. And so that stuff happens, and like, oh, it's not supposed to happen. The next thing you know, people, because they, they can't. And so for me, football was important because I was a little guy, and I learned that physical side. And so it's like, okay, now I'm secure in the world now. I'm okay. Like, that guy was way bigger than me, went toe-to-toe with him. He absolutely rocked me, but I got him down. <laughs> yeah. And okay, cool. So like if I'm, you know, I'm not physically feeling you know, this in the world, I'm like, I'm okay. And I hopefully don't have to be in any situations like that. But the last thing I would want is to be in a moment like that and not be able to, you know, feel okay or feel small in the world. And so I want my daughter to feel big in the world. Like I want her to feel, like, secure in the world. I want my son, the same kind of thing, right? But I also want them to help other people feel that way. I also want them to contribute and make teams do that and teams that contribute. And I want them to also be able to, like, know when not to compete, right? Because there's, there's two frustrating parts, right? The person who refuses to compete and the person who refuses to stop competing. That's right. They're both frustrating in a marriage, in a, anywhere. It's like, you got to know. And I've made that mistake. I've made the mistake of being like, hey, you're competing. Like, we're not competing. Like, it's not fun to compete at the dinner table, right? You know, like, <laughs> not competing in this discussion. And, yeah, but you grew up with brothers. Yeah. You're always competing, oh, yeah. right? But I was the oldest, and I still am, and so I never lost. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, may, I may not have won every time, Rich, but I never lost to this day. That's right. Well, as Michael Jordan says, he never lost the game. He just ran out of time. That's right. right? That's right. <laughs> so you're, That's right. you're in the same boat. You yeah. never, never lost. For sure. What was the dynamics between you and your brothers with you being the oldest? So I'm six, seven years older than my next closest one. So I was, I was separated uh, uh, from age-wise, I, I had a big separation, and I'm 13 years older than my youngest brother, uh, and I have one sister. And so mine was much more of, a, um, much more of either like an older mentor or more like a parental, um, you know, but, but incredibly close uh, relationally, emotionally, all of that stuff. Um, but it wasn't like the typical brother-sister where we were close enough to be like have that competitive side. We were never really that competitive. I mean, with my... With my uh, with my next younger brother, Carrie, Madden was like the closest we really got to like competing um, and all that. And we, we laugh about that now. But, you know, it was, it was, you know, they were my biggest fans at everything, as you would expect, right? And I was all about bringing them in and doing all that stuff. And, 
but but very much like anything else, right? It's it's for me, it was pretty quick to just help them be who they are, right? It's it's and it's helped me as a parent, you know, to to have that relationship with my brothers and now they're grown and doing cool stuff and. Uh, but it, you know, it was helping them be who they are, and, and the best version of that. And like, you know, don't don't. You're be, almost parenting. Don't, don't be like me. Then. Don't be like them. Or whatever. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I never I never viewed it as oh, I got to be your parent. But it was just it was just the natural role yeah, that exactly. it came into. You know, but showing them how to compete, and you know, I, mean, I still never let them win, and they had to get good enough to beat me at everything. And I'll be the same way with my kids. Um, but it's also on purpose, right? It's not my ego. It's it's you know, the second people start letting you win, you know, those cracks form, and it's like this world will be very very hard on you if you think it's going to let you win. And there's too many adults, right, who are my age, your age, older, who are like, who think they deserve to win something. And it's like, no, you, you deserve to win when, when you've earned to win, when you, when you actually win. That's when you deserve it. And I don't deserve to win until I get the W. It's not something I can tell somebody else that I deserved it. I got to go get it. So, yeah. That's, and and that's what, what motivates you in, in terms of, is it people telling you that you can't do something yeah. Or is it fear of failure that motivates you or you're wanting to prove people right that believe in you? What has been the fire for you? Um, you know, the, the fire for me is, and it really always has been, I mean, I'm, I'm highly, highly motivated to win. So, so you know, I, I, I suppose that would be sort of, I, I probably I wouldn't be it wouldn't be a full disclosure honesty if it wasn't just like I just love chasing that win is it but it's not winning and I'm on the record for this already so so I might as well say it you know I think people who are only in it to win are losers because for me I love competition I love everything about it I love the uncertainty I love the potential for loss I love being on the edge. I, I have a friend who loves it just as much as I do. He's my best friend. He's my best man. I was his. We joke all the time, right? Like we, if we go play blackjack or something in, in Las Vegas, we always joke with people. We have more fun losing money than most people have winning money <laughs> because we love competing. Yeah, we love just, that mo- I love that in between where it's I'm not sure, right? Yeah. When I was skateboarding as a kid and surfing in California, like, you know, go down these long boards and go down the hills and get the speed wobbles. Like I love that moment of can I hold on to this? love being on the wave and be like, you know, can I keep this board upright and me in the water so that I don't have to hold my breath for a minute and a half under the kite? I love that moment. I love being the little guy on the field, lining up and be like, you know, can I figure out what's going on, make the play? Can I do that? So I love that. So, so in a way, I'm trying to capture that energy. I'm trying to be in that place. So that's, that's one at a personal level. Number two is I love and care about people. I just like, I always have. And and so if I wasn't doing this and I was making sandwiches at, you know, Jersey Mike's or something, it would be the same driving force within me. I wouldn't be really competing, although I'd probably find a way to compete with myself on, you know, speed slicing oh, yeah, or whatever it would be, sandwich, or, you yeah. know, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, or, you know, can I, can, I, can I be the most efficient with my mayo spreads? I, whatever, I would find something fun, right? But more than that, it would be if I'm behind the counter and that guy who's ordering that sandwich is in there and he's seeing it as a transaction, can I make it an experience? And, you know, I think I got that from my mom. She's a flight attendant for American Airlines, best flight attendant in the world. And, you know, I watched my mom take something that was transactional and turn it into an experience. And I watched, I watched how she did that and I saw that and it, and like, it, it affected, like it was, oh, like there was a standard that was set, you know? And 
And she didn't tell me, hey, you have to do this, but I just picked that up, right? And from my dad, like I learned how to study and dive into something, how to respect the, the craft of structure and, and mechanics, and then like how do you simplify those and turn them into, like I learned that, I learned the art of studying from my dad too late for, for his practices. <laughs> exactly. But I learned the art of studying. He's like, I wish you would have learned it before I was writing those college, you know, checks for exactly. whatever. But, you know, but, but uh, uh, I always remind him that I did get a, a half scholarship. I, mean, I covered my portion. Right? <laughs> yeah. but, 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 you know, for me, it, it's, it's that energy, right? Like if I don't have that energy, it's a, it's a tough day for me. And then I can find that energy somewhere. Then I find that energy in a book. I'll find that energy writing something. I'll find that energy speaking. I'll find that energy on a podcast. I'll find that energy engaging with my team in a conversation. I, 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 can, I can create that energy really wherever I want. But if I'm struggling to create it, I'm struggling to, to make it happen in a particular environment or a particular way, that's when I start to, that's where it sputters for me. And it never sputters for long, but, you know, everybody has that. How do you get like, out of that sputter then? I, 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 I go the opposite. I, I'll, I decompress, and like that, that's usually a sign of, hey, go hang with your kids. Go watch an episode of Bubble Guppies with your daughter. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like something where it's just, there's not an agenda, there's not a mission, right. there's just, it's just, just be in an experience. And it could be, you know, it could be working out. It could be, and I don't compete with myself to work out, you know, like that. Like, you know, I, I, that's not me. Um, and I don't compete with myself. Like, right? it's, I think a lot of people talk about me versus me, and that can work. But I don't, for me, I, for me, that's never made sense because I, I don't want to compete against myself. Me versus me. Like, who are we talking about? Me versus the old me? It's like, well, do I want to call that a bad person? No, like, I think that goes pretty good. I just want to, yeah, I want to be better now. So I, for me, it's always me versus, like, the external. Right? It's me versus, uh, Stephen Pressfield calls it the resistance. Right? The resistance is, Andy's nodding. Have you read it, Andy? Do you know it? Yeah. So Stephen Pressfield is, He's, have you ever read him? No, have yeah, not. Phenomenal. He wrote... Um, I will now. He wrote uh, a book called Gates of Fire, but he, he wrote a book called Do the Work. So, and, you know, Do the Work existed before. He wrote a book yeah. called Do the Work. And in the book, Do the Work, there's this, right? There's Do the Work, but in order to do the work, there's one thing you have to battle, and it's the resistance. And he, he makes it a character. It's a thing. It has a heartbeat. It has a mission. And its mission is stop you. Stop you from writing, stop you from speaking, stop you from publishing, stop you from promoting, stop you from hitting play, stop you from hitting go. It's the resistance. It's to stop you from getting out of bed, stop you from starting the conversation. The resistance is look at your first product and then say, that's not good enough. I'm ne- I'll never do it. So everything about that is the resistance, but it's not you. It's, it's out here. It's a thing that's different. Yeah, it's- For me, that's the competition. It's not me. No. I always see that and I'm like, no, no, that's not me. I am the person who competes. I am the person who is it. that the resistance is something outside of me. But can the resistance be inside you, though? I think that's, that's what it tries to tell us. And I think that's where we get caught, right? That, that's where it starts to turn into this, again, ultimately part of the, all of this is the story that we're telling. But here's, I'll, I'll go into a little bit of, a, a little bit of technique. So, so, so here's the thing. We have two stories we can tell at any given moment, right? One is a story... It's, and it's all about the future, right? You could tell a story about the past, right? Of, oh, I really screwed that up, or I really did great, but they're both stories about what happened. They're not accuracies, they're stories. And if we're doing accuracy, it's just, I did this, then they did that. Everything after that is something you make up. Think about it, right? Like, like, like with your kids, like you're, you're, 
You, you ever hear your kids, they walk in to a room or you walk into a room, whatever, and, and they just have a look on their face that you're like, that you're like, you see that look and you're like, oh, I know what that means. Do they have looks like that? Like, of course. They look happy or irritated or yes. annoyed or like you say something and a look on their face like, oh, I said something wrong, like That's whatever, right. right? And then like you start to anticipate what's going to happen and go that, right? So here's, the, here's how that works. All that happened was you said the word and then they went like this with their face or whatever they did. That's truth. Everything after that, and this is what gets interesting, everything after that you made up. You literally invented. Think about it. It's not actually happening. It hasn't occurred. And you are running a story about what you expect and anticipate to happen next based on what? Well, she wrinkled her nose, put her eyebrow down, and her hair went like this. And then you go, oh, that means, and then you invent something. And the the problem is not inventing it because we always do that. The problem is confusing our invention for reality. So, and that's just an example and by the way, every time it ends up actually going like our invention said, it doubles down the fact that we're right, and then, then it reinforces the next time, right? Yeah, it reinforces behavior for another but time. But every time we're not right, we don't pull that info in and then correct our assumptions and then not do that invention the next time. We just do the invention again until we're right, and we hit that, pull that little cash register, right? Like that, that, that slot machine. So how this works is this. Yes, it's all inside of our head, but if I tell myself it's not me, I'm convincing myself of something I need to convince myself of. That's not me. I'm different. I'm not that person. Right? Because the alternate is what? I am that person. Yeah, I do right. have that doubt. I am not good enough. Exactly. So here's my point. If I have the option to tell myself, that's not me. I'm better than that. I have a higher standard. Be courageous. Go. Do the work. Or I could tell myself, no, that doubt is well-placed. You shouldn't do it. Be afraid. This fear is well-founded. You know, don't put publish. Which one... And I have the choice, which I always do. Which one do I want to tell myself? Why would I run a script diminishing myself that's untrue when I could just as easily run a script (laughs) lifting myself up that is equally untrue because this one puts me into a negative state that makes me do negative work. This one puts me into a positive state that helps me do positive work. It's like if I'm going into a sales meeting. I might as well walk into a sales meeting and say, I am the best salesperson that ever lived. I'm absolutely going to close this sale. This person is, is desperate to buy from me, and they also want to be my best friend, and we're probably going to go to the Super Bowl together. If I tell myself that and I go in, and I'm walking in, I'm like, as air, I'm friendly, I'm connected, I'm here, right? But if I walk in going, oh, what if they don't do this? What if they don't do that? Both, in both those scenarios, I'm just telling a, a future projection to myself. But one of them puts me in this awful state. The other puts me in this awesome state, and this is where people get critical of this is they say, well, this one isn't true, the positive one. You're just making it up. Aren't you fooling yourself? And I go, sure, but aren't I fooling myself over here too? If I talk negative stuff about myself, is that not just as much of a lie and a fooling myself? So if, if neither one is true, which one makes me feel better? Which one lifts me up? Which one, which one makes me love myself more to be able to give myself better to people? This one. If I'm telling that one, it, I'm done. So in a way, we're we're always telling ourselves some kind of an untruth, even if it's just about the future. I just want to tell myself the most productive ones. And nobody's in here anyway except for me, so it doesn't matter <laughs> Why is I it say. so hard for people to think that way? Because we, uh, we have a million units of horsepower in 
a hundred unit brain. You think about it, how many thoughts can go through your head in a 10 second window. It's hard to calculate. It is hard to, yes. Right. And now put it in a lifetime. It's like, you know, we have so much horsepower and we've got this, this, this actual, you know, uh, uh, life and, and decisions and com- computing moments, if you will. And so that's why, for me, that's why the power of simplicity and the power of systems are so important. Because if I don't have simple standards and rules, rules of thumb, you know, what do we want to call them, right? Like sim- simplicity. And I don't have really good systems. What happens is that all that energy and that horsepower gets used on what? I use to debate myself internally. Exactly. I use that energy on doubt. I use that Negative energy stuff. on fear. I use that energy on, on, on you know, retreading ground that other people have already studied and found really good, reliable answers. And I just got to pick which one I like the best for me in my life. You know, the last thing I want to do is go recreate something somebody's already done. And you know, like people have way smarter and, and more studied than me have. have well, and, and to your point, and I, I've seen you talk about this too, that we can learn from history and it's not a good thing to ignore history. We're silly if we don't. We're silly if we don't. It's insane that we don't look at what has occurred in the past. Google, Google 1918 pandemic. Exactly. Masks, signs, social patterns, businesses, government response. Google what they did. And what you see is stuff that is so exponentially more than what we're doing now. And look, of course there's all kinds of issues and problems and there's a debate to be had as to, you know, this and that, all kinds of different stuff because it's a, it's a very complex world that we live in. But the point is, it's not the first time we've been through this. We've been through this a bunch of times before and, you know, we were a lot worse 100 years ago and a lot more people died and there were, there were social stigma for not doing masks and, you know, they went to church outdoors and businesses had to do outdoors and a lot of these patterns we're seeing right now, we did it before. So everybody's looking at calling this unprecedented. It's not unprecedented. It is... <laughs> highly, highly precedented. Exactly. Okay? It's, just, it's just never happened to you. That's right. Right? It's never happened to me. But I look at it and it's like, oh, yeah, like, here we go again. Oh, let me just go back and read it. And there's a bunch of cool books, but you can literally, I, if you just Google it, and I'm say, you Google 1918 pandemic and then put like a word behind it or just 1918 pandemic, click images and go look. It's just, you get a history lesson in two minutes of, of looking at the images and you see the signs that were everywhere and the pictures and the posters you know, and then you start, like, you start seeing all the different stuff that was happening, the mass graves they had to dig in Philadelphia to bury people because so many people were dying. That it put, and you look and you're like, oh, okay, like, I can eat outdoors. I might, I might disagree with whatever this mandate was, but I can do this or, you know, whatever it would happen to be. And, right? and, and I'm not somebody who believes in the lockdown and all of that different stuff. And I'm, I'm, more of a, uh, I'm more of somebody who's like, look, if you want to keep your business open, keep it open. And if you don't want to go into a place where there's a lot of people don't go I'm in going. there. Like I'm, I'm more like, but that's more mm-hmm. my larger view is I believe in free will and choice and we should limit the, the standards and, or the, the regulations we put in place for, like, you know, for, for some bigger things. But I don't know if I'm right about that. It's just what I think, right? So anyway, so I look at history and it's like, so I've just had much less of a problem with all of this for my own life and you know, sort of less willingness to hear other people complain about it for others because... Go back and learn and then adjust because I can't stop this. No. Neither can you. That's right. And we have to adjust, right? And my heart breaks for the businesses that have been, you know, really hammered and smashed by this because 
there's a lot that has been out of their control. Um, you know, and that's just, we got to be ready for that part of life as well. And for me, history connects me to the lineage of all of us. That's, that's me. So anytime I think about history and I look at it, for me, it connects me, my issues, my goals, my problems, my kids, my wife, my business, right, my world, to everybody in history forever. Am I more important than them? Do I have some problems other people didn't? Sure. Do, I have, do other people have problems that I don't? Of course. But I'm, now I can connect them and be like, okay, I can see myself in context. And for me, that is one of the biggest things about my life and business is seeing myself and all of the things that are affecting me and I am affecting in the context of the larger planet history and lineage that I belong to, that we all belong to, of like, okay, cool. Like, I can be important in my space and to the people that I touch and impact and leave a mark on the world. And none of my issues are special when I view them in the history of everybody who's ever lived. Like, I'm going to live and die my wife is going to live and die. My kids are going to live and die. All of that, right? We're going to have our journeys and we're going to come That's to right. board. Uh, just like every family who's ever lived before us has. Like, how do we want to do that? How do we want to live that? How do we want to compete? How do we want to approach? And I think sports are unique because they give us that in a microcosm, right? Like, like you know, you're a Clemson guy. Like, we, it's like we live and die between the first whistle and the last. And isn't it, isn't it funny, by the way? <laughs> It's funny how how Clemson blows a lot of lot of, lot of games out, right? Like they 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 win and 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 they they win a lot of games by a lot of points, but those games aren't as fun. Right? It's Agreed. when they play like, when they line up against the Citadel, you're not jacked. No, it's different, right? But when they line up against USC, right, you're jacked. Yes. Uh, when they line up against Alabama or Ohio State, right, you're jacked. That game in it's 20... It's a different emotional that, 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 that game last year where, where, where Clemson won an interception at the end, why was that game so awesome? Because it had this, right? Yes. It, had, it had good calls, bad calls. It had ejections. It had all the stuff, and it came down to the last moment and a small little margin, and, like, and, it, and it was because it was so meaningful that we cared so much that made it so amazing. It's like we love to be in that tension, right? And without it, it doesn't have as much meaning. And that's life. Sports gives it to us in a three-minute wrestling match or a three-and-a-half-hour football game or a 60-second swim. And that's why it's awesome. That's why it's amazing. Agreed. That's everything. It is. Agreed 100%. Your tattoo. Yeah, which one? That one right there. Let me this see. This one? Yeah, we're yeah. both of them. I want to see yeah. both of them. Yeah, so this, so, this is my first one. E-R-O, e-, e-, e plus R equals O. Event yep. plus response equals outcome. This is uh, how to make sure that your dad doesn't get mad at your first tattoo. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that was is, one of his acronyms, is, is, right? Is put, put the thing we teach permanently <laughs> on me. Uh, I, I did tell him, I said, you know, it's E plus R equals O, and I went with my own stylized version of it. I said, you know. You can get one too if you want. He goes, I'm, I'm good. I'll let you carry it for the both of us. I said, okay, yeah, that's, that's all good. So, um, yeah, so that was, that, was, uh, that was number one. And I, I got some more coming here. And then this was one I got a few years ago. Um, just a way for me to just remind myself to, to I, think, I think life is, for me, it's about, about two things. That's what, what this is. And I don't tell a whole lot of people about it. But it, for me, it's about two things. It's about having a strong backbone and a big heart. It's about, it's about having steel in my spine, right, and love in here. Because if I, if I don't have either one of those, I can't be the man I, I want to be for people or who I actually think I am. 
And I think that's what life is, is, is life is being able to have the, the, the backbone to handle the stuff and the heart to be able to love all of it and go through it, right? And it's a fire, right? It's the fire of excitement and passion. It's the fire of, you know, tragedy and, and, and trials and adversity and everything else in between, right? That, that fight. And so for me, that's what it's about. It's about I can't be hard without also knowing how to be open. And I can't be open without being able to secure myself. So, yes. Yeah. And again, there's a balance of that. It's just, yeah, it was. So. Well, the other thing that I, it, Andy had mentioned to me when he first was telling me what he was doing, you know, working with you, the whole scratch golf project or scratch yeah. project or whatever. So, project scratch. So project scratch, yeah. yes, that's it. Right. So I, I'm fascinated by that as well because it's my goal to get good at golf. Mm-hmm. And I just have never been able to do it. And I, I want to hear why you're motivated to do this. Well, one, I love that competition. So, you know, I'm a 15, started at like a 20. I played like a football player. Um, and I was like the world's worst version of 20 because I could play three holes under par and then 15. <laughs> yes. out of 20. You know, so I'm like the, I'm like the world's worst version. Cause if you watch me on the right through holes, you'd be like, well, that guy's almost at scratch. I'm athletic and, you know, but I also do it like a football player so I can like hold it and I wasn't, you know, good at golf. And so I would <laughs> hold it for a minute and then just when I lost it, it was like, wheels Rich, came I'm off. telling you, like, no, not wheels, like wheels, <laughs> tracks, doors, flames, like the whole thing, right? Um, like to the point of like, I wouldn't like miss the ball. Like I'm, when I, was, I say football player, I'm like, so um, competitive outlet, focus, energy, something fun, something I wasn't naturally good at, not naturally good at golf. Um, and also the learning how to compete differently, right? The principles of good competition in football don't transfer to golf. So it was a, it was a wholly new endeavor for me, like a new planet of competition, and I've, I've loved it. And then number two is it was a long way away. So it was going to be a difficult, like, like I was going to get lost and did and am and will, right? Like yeah. I'm going to be lost. And, and I don't know that I've ever been lost in a physically competitive way. Like I... I was never lost on a football field, ever. I never got nervous. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I am more nervous standing in front of my three best friends on, on the first tee box than I ever felt on a football field, ever, in any... That's crazy. And I played corner by myself, one-on-one. On like, I was on, like... Uh, yes. And I never felt a twinge, right? But you put me at, at 8 a.m. with my buddies on a tee box, and they're watching me, and it's like, like... My heart's beating like, you know, it's like crazy. So it's like, but that's why it's cool. So... Um, yeah, we committed. I, I talked. I'm like, hey, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to document this. And, and rather than teach, let me just show them me doing. And so, you know, I teach a lot of stuff about competing and, and thinking and discipline. And, and obviously, I have the, the, the premise of discipline, right? Discipline is the shortcut. Like, if you're looking for the shortest, most reliable path from where you are to where you want to get, everywhere, discipline will always be that path, whether you're 17 or 70. Like, you want to improve relationship. Be disciplined in that relationship, and it will improve faster than if you are undisciplined. Um, it logically makes sense when we explain it, but emotionally, it's not how people approach That's right. it. Right? It doesn't. And then there's the process of executing with discipline. So I told the team, I said, "Hey, rather than teach discipline as a shortcut in another environment, I go, why don't we just take what I already am going to be doing, which is playing golf, learning how to get good at golf? I go, why don't we just document the process of me trying to become a scratch golfer and just tell the show, not tell, show the truth of this is what it looks like." And, uh, and then we'll have however long it takes to do it on record. 
like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And, um, you know, and early on, right, it's a lot more ugly than anything else, <laughs> right? And then there's bad, and there's flashes of good, and, yeah. you know, and they already have people, you know, getting on YouTube, seeing the videos, watching around or something, they'll be like, you know, this is why you're a 15 handicap, because you don't, you know. And also, it's like, but it's also a, a part of, like, you know, I, I teach a lot about process and criticism and all that. It's like, you're going to get criticized, whatever. I mean, Tiger Woods gets criticized. That's right. He's the best golfer to ever play the game. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm going to get criticized, of course, you know, like, <laughs> come on, right? Jordan Spieth is, is, you know, he won a bunch of majors and, and, then, and then struggling to find a swing. He's getting hammered, right? But he's got, he won more majors when, he won, he won more majors below the age of whatever it was, what, 23 or something like that than anybody except for Tiger. Now he's getting smashed and hammered. It's like, like, I'm not that, I haven't achieved that level of anything. And he's getting criticized. So I'm more just saying, Let's have fun and put it out there and, and go. And then I can go put my competitive outlet and go try some stuff. And it's been a blast. I mean, it's been, it's been, and it still is. We're, we're about to get cranked back up again, and, and we're, we're going to have a good time doing it. Well, I told Andy, I was like, all right, I, I've got to somehow figure out to, to do my own version as well because yeah. I've got to be disciplined. Where are you? What, what, do you, what do you play at? I'm a 15. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, 15.1. Right, so, yeah. so you know. Yeah. It's, so, exactly, it's literally exactly what I am. I'm okay. a 15.1. And, you know, the good days are awesome and fun, and we feel like we crossed the threshold. We're never going back. Yeah. Right? And then the bad days are, I don't even know why I'm here. Exactly. And it's just, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's feelings, thoughts, emotions I never had when I played football, and it, it's, it's a blast feeling on the edge of something, which, which is where I love to be. All right, so wrapping up here, obviously you have a whole catalog of different type of sayings, quotes, uh, acronyms, mm-hmm. you know, all that that you can lean on. But is there anything that stands out even more so for you just from a words of wisdom aspect that you always try to pass on or has meant a lot to you? And, and it can be phrases, quotes, or just life advice. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's two that, that come to mind right away. The first is doesn't matter, get better. DMGB is, the, is sort of the... the I'm ready for Letters that T-shirt. And the that, yeah, right. Like, you know, like we got to get those out. You know, just DMGB doesn't matter. Get better. It's always the right mindset, and it's always the right answer. It doesn't matter what the context is. That's the answer. That's the mindset. And of course, there's styles and there's versions, and you know, and and people are like, well, what about you know this? And they kind of you know they'll they'll vault to like you know people try to invalidate something because of a single spot but for me it is like that is the thing you know my dad was diagnosed with with stage four prostate cancer in april a week after we shut down and the answer is doesn't matter get better what at what at our effort at our relationship at our time together at our how we attack it at all of the things that we do going forward at our love and our bond at helping our family members who are all having to deal with this because it's not just him. like okay great you have cancer can we undo it no can they, can they just take it away completely? Okay. Can I snap my fingers and go back and make it? No, okay. So now it's what? Great, doesn't matter, get better. Let, let's go forward with what are we going to do and how are we going to do it and what's that going to be like for us, right? And it's also the same thing if I get a flat tire or my son stubs his toe or I win a championship, you know? Or I mean, who, who, who in college football embodies doesn't matter, get better more than anyone? Alabama. It's why they're so – it's because they, they come back with the same effort and the same intensity and the same commitment whether they've won or lost the championship. And what do they have? We've got the best dynasty in college football history. It's because they live it. Other people talk about it. They do it. 
So that's number one. And then number two uh, is, and, I, and I, I, I got here because I was, I was connecting to something else that when you were asking about what drives me, um, it's outlast the cynics. For me, that's, that's a huge piece. It just, and it's connected to the competing side. I don't, it doesn't matter what the environment is. If there's a cynic who's in the environment, if there's a cynic critiquing this podcast, if there's a cynic, you know, there's a one-star review, whatever, right? Outlast that person. Because if a cynic wins, if there's a cynic in your business, if there's a cynic in your family, if there's a cynic, if you're married to a cynic, like, you know, God, God love everybody, okay? But sometimes people marry cynics. And it's just, that's just, they act that way, right? I love them, right? But here's the thing. I will outlast you. I'm not going to lose because I stopped before the cynic did. If I lose, it's, you're going to have to beat me. Right? You are going to have to last longer than I do, work harder than I do, put more energy than I do. Like you're going to have to. So in a business, everyone wants to change their culture and, or they want to they they improve their marriage. And like, oh, but my... my my, my wife just, you know, she isn't responsive to this, or my husband isn't da-da-da. I'm like, okay, so they, they express some cynicism or pessimism. Okay, cool. Okay, so what did you do? Well, I tried and tried, and then, and then they just never responded, so I just stopped. I go, so you quit. They put up a little resistance or a lot of resistance, and then they were just more committed to resisting it than you were to making it better. You didn't deserve to win. They deserve to win. You deserve to lose because you stopped. And this is what positive people do, Rich. Positive people are the first ones to quit. Have you noticed this? They have this positivity, and if they don't gain traction over a quick period of time or, or some relative period of time, they get frustrated, and then they just slowly fade back. But have you noticed that pessimists and cynics don't ever get tired? There's no podcast out there that, that is trying to infuse pessimism and cynicism into people's lives so they can keep up. <laughs> we only have to do that for positive. There's no, there's no power of negativity conference in Orlando every January where there's a bunch of power positivity conferences so people can come get energized to what? Come back and remain positive. Nobody has to train to remain cynical. So the burden is on us to outlast the cynics. Otherwise, we don't deserve what we're trying to create if they're just better competitors than us. So outlast the cynics. And if you're not willing to, don't complain. Go join them and become one of them willingly. Put your hand up and say, okay, great. I couldn't beat you, so I'm going to become a cynic too. And own it. Don't complain them. Don't blame. And when you don't get what you want, don't be upset about it. It was the path you chose. Or outlast them. Go fight the good fight. Love them along the way. Bring as many as you possibly can. And if it takes you 10 years, the first reason you didn't get there faster is because you weren't good enough. <laughs> right? The second reason is maybe it just takes that long. Yeah, maybe it just takes that long. You, you have, you have a, a 17-year-old daughter, right? Yes. And as a dad, you teach stuff. There are things that will take 10 years of us staying committed to it for our kids to really get it. Yeah. And it just is going to take 10 years. Right. If it happens shorter than that, it's not going to be because of what we did. Because it just takes that long. Because it took that long for you with something. But if we're not committed to the 10 years and we get tired in year three and frustrated to the point where we just stop investing, you both lose. Same thing with me. So for me, that, that's the other piece. It's DMGB, and it's Outlast the Cynics. And I don't know, DMGB is everything, right? Like, it doesn't, I, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're not in the shape you want in, it doesn't matter, get better. If it's going to take you two years to get back in shape, or just had knee surgery, or 
you quit the last time. It just doesn't matter. Get better. Just stay in that DNGB mindset. But the outlast, the cynics one is so big because that is, it's like, that is just so central to so many people's big decisions and the things that like really stick in their brains and hearts is they get frustrated with something on the job or their boss or their spouse, or their kids, or their community, or their team or whatever. And they get frustrated that it's not happening quicker and faster and all this stuff. And I'm like, if you, if you cave on that, like, I just refuse to let that group win. Yeah. I refuse. I That's refuse. hard. I don't though. mind getting beat. Don't get me wrong. I don't mind getting beat if they're better. Because I can go back to the drawing board, train, improve <laughs> myself, and come back. And I will. Right? I, I'm a corner. Like, if that receiver beats me, he beats me. But I'm not going to lose and let him catch a touchdown because I just didn't want to run 80 yards, and he did. No, I, that's not a competitor, right? That's a, it's a front runner. It's a, I'll win as long as it's not too hard. And that's what positive people do too much. I'll, I'll do positivity as, as, long as, it, as long as I don't have to put in this much energy. I just don't ever hear that from cynics and, and negative people. So we just have to, we have to know what that environment is. And, um, and frankly, our, our, the world could use positive people being a lot tougher than they are. Well, cynics, I mean, that, that pathway is easier. Staying positive and staying with that type of mindset, it is harder. Of course. Yeah, and, and because it doesn't take a lot of energy, although it, it, it sucks other people's energy. It does. And that's the thing, right? They get their energy from others, and they do, right? They do. And I don't get mad at those people. And By the way, so we're all clear, most of the cynics are really good people. They just have a behavior pattern. Right? They got burned out. They got knocked down. They got, you know, they got asked to buy into one too many initiatives that never panned out, right? You know, they had some experiences, whatever. Life does what life does, and they just, a switch went out. A pilot light turned off, whatever, right? I love those people because I view every one of those people as somebody that if I can just turn that light back on and if it takes me three years, whatever, but if I can like, if I can just get that light somewhere back, we have somebody in our crowd again, right? We like, we, 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 we go from gray to full color and you know, there's very few bad people in the world. They, they exist, but there's very few. And you know, Nancy, who you disagree with in HR because she's always negative, she's not a bad person. She just found her way into a negative behavior pattern. She's a great person, right? She's just annoying right now, and that's okay. I can be annoying too. <laughs> we all right? can. <laughs> and I will take my positive annoying against your negative annoying, and mine's going to win, all right? Like, yeah. that's just how it's going to be. So, you know, it's, it's, I always talk about with negativity, right? It's, it's join them or beat them, but never mistreat them. Like, that's just how, it, that's just with, with, that's what it's going to be. Um, and so, I, bring that, I try to bring that everywhere, but everybody right now who hears this has somewhere in their life, somewhere in a mission, somewhere in something where, where they're slipping on that energy and enthusiasm and commitment to that positive side, if you will, or whatever you want to call that, right? Their energy towards something, um, and, and they're, they're, they're about to let the cynics win because they just are going to stop. They're going to stop putting in effort. And what I would encourage all of those people to do is outlast the cynics last longer than them just last longer they will get tired eventually my goal is to outlast stay positive that i'm going to be a scratch golfer that's right and one day i'm going to have a beard like yours well, <laughs> listen you know if we live long enough you know they'll make pills for you know that kind of stuff and you know who knows and and you know we'll see i I, I do have a debate on my hand about how long i'm going to keep this if i ever decide to go back there's one person in the world who wants me to shave his beard off, and it's not my wife. My wife loves it. My wife, my wife had that experience of like, looking at me one day and being like, oh, wow. She's like, it fits you. I, she's like, I never really processed that you have a beard now. And it was like six months into having it, right? But there's one person who is desperate for me to get rid of his beard, and that is 
my mom because she's like, your face, I love it. Right. She like, wants to see that face. I'm like, everybody else, everybody else kind of likes it. I do, you know, my daughter. If I, at this point, my daughter's barely even seen me without it. So, like, if I shave it off, she's She probably wouldn't here. recognize you hardly. She, it would take her a minute, so we'll, we'll see. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe in the future we'll see, but, but uh, it's working for now. BK. Awesome. Appreciate it, Rich. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. The blast. Awesome. The simple truth is that discipline can be hard, and many times we make it even more difficult because we don't understand the power of simplicity, as Brian talked about. But once we can fully understand that principle, then applying those systems in our life can be much easier and even attainable while focusing on that mindset, it doesn't matter, get better, and simply do the work. Now that finishes episode 149, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.